Thanks, Ralph. So today, John the Baptist, he's such an interesting character in scripture, isn't he? I thought I would start off by doing some collective knowledge. So especially you kids might be able to help us out with this. I want some facts about John. Some people may not know who John the Baptist was. Um, so I'm wondering, do you, what do you know about John the Baptist? Yes. All right, great start, starting strong. He was Jesus' cousin. Anybody else? Yeah? He was strong. Yeah, well, he lived in the desert. He'd have to be, wouldn't he? Hmm? He did eat honey. What else did he eat? Does anybody know, Bree? What was that? Crickets. Yeah, and what are they? They had locusts and stuff like that and all the sort of bugs they had in the desert, eh? Yeah? And what else do we know? Marianne. There we go, getting some facts there. Thank you very much. Anybody else? We're opening it up. Margaret. He was a rough diamond. I like that. I like that. Yep. What was that? A bit louder. He did wear camel fur. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that fact. It's integral to what I'm going to say. Yep. He was a voice in the desert. And where do you know which book in the Bible does that come from? Do you know? This is an extra test. Isaiah. Yeah, well done. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Yeah? I think he Jesus. Boom. Well done. It was the, um, the highlight of his ministry was baptizing Jesus. Okay, you guys have done so well. One thing that I learned about John the Baptist... Oh, Daniel, go on. Just... Well done. More facts coming over from the Vigas family. Loving that. Um, so one thing that I learned about Jesus, which is actually along those lines, Daniel, was that his dad was Zechariah. He was one of the priests in the temple. And he was in the line of Aaron. So that, I thought, was another interesting fact about John. Um, John, he hung out a lot of time in the desert, as you might know. As I've said a few times, it was a bit of a spoiler alert for anybody who had that as their fact. Um, and he was a really unique guy. He had a unique ministry, and we're going to learn a bit more about that today. So today, I'm actually going to attempt something that may never have been done before. I know, you didn't expect something so epic on January, but I'm going to compare Steve Jobs to John the Baptist, okay? Now, think, you start thinking, how on earth is she going to do that? Now, who knows, can someone tell me who Steve Jobs is? Peter. He was the founder of Apple, thank you very much. No one else put their hands up. I'm thinking, you know, our IT guy, should really be the one to answer that. Um, so what we're going to do is that, um, but these two men have something in common that is very important for us to understand and emulate in our discipleship, in our ministry. So we're going to figure out what that is today. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your scriptures. We thank you that they give us life, they give us wisdom, and they give us guides for how we are to be more and more like Jesus. 
Father, we pray that you be with us this morning as we delve into those scriptures, that you will transform us, that you will renew our minds, Lord, that you will help us to uh, figure out what it is that we should be focusing on this year. And Lord, we pray that you speak to each one of us. Amen. So we're going to start by setting the scene, okay? We always look at the context um, around it. So what we see is immediately before this, John the Baptist was actually talking to the Pharisees, and he was saying who Jesus was to them. And then we move on, and it's the next day, okay? That's what our verse 29 starts with. It was the next day, and John sees Jesus walking up to him, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away, he says, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is described here as the Lamb of God. And when I read this, it's one of those famous Christian terms, isn't it? And you think, oh, it must have such rich Old Testament imagery. I'm sure this is used throughout Scripture. But interestingly, here is the first usage of it in the whole Bible. It doesn't actually have any strict um, references back to the Old Testament. But what it does do is it conjures up a whole bunch of images in your head And scholars have been trying to figure out what exactly was it referring to when it was calling Jesus the Lamb of God. They've come up with ideas, um, the Passover lamb, I thought that was probably the most obvious, but there are some issues with that as well. The lamb led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53. The lambs used in daily sacrifice at the temple was another one it could be. The scapegoat, although I would have thought it's a goat, not a lamb, major problem, but anyway... That's put in there by the scholars. The triumphant lamb in Revelation is another one. All of these possibilities that people would be thinking up when they hear this phrase, what I think John was doing, if you've read John and you know John's gospel pretty well, is I think he's cutting through all of the detail to give this one message. So he's wanting it to evoke all of those different things in different people's minds to get across the one main point, is that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that dealt with the sins of the world. And so I think John, in this beautiful way, doesn't give a specific, because it leaves out the other parts, but it puts this huge generalization to make the point that Jesus came to deal with our sin. Most important point that he's making here. Sacrifice takes away that condition that prohibits us from coming into God's presence. So what Jesus is doing here is making us able to have access to God. Most important thing for us to remember. And who is it that can come into God's presence? Well, it says it takes away the sin of the world. So right at the start here, we are seeing this important message that sin is dealt with for not just a few select people, but the sin of the world is dealt with so that everyone can come to God. So if we look now at the significance of this, we've looked at the content of the verse, but what's the significance? Well, we see that right from the start, both Johns actually, John the Baptist and John the author of the gospel in the way that he writes this, is putting the first most important priority of his gospel right at the start. It sets the focus, doesn't it? It focuses on exactly who Jesus is and exactly what his ministry on earth was accomplishing. 
And a couple of times in this chapter, we see that really specifically. In verse 31, John tells us that the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry was actually to reveal Christ to Israel, to reveal the identity of Jesus as Messiah. He, he was told by God in a special revelation. The disciples had to get to know Jesus and learn, and you hear the story of them throughout the gospel, but John straight off the bat identifies Jesus for who he is because God made a special revelation to John because John's ministry was specifically to reveal the Messiah to Israel. That revelation, and we hear it in verses 32 to 34 when John describes the baptism of Jesus as the sort of the crowning glory in his ministry. He talks about how God revealed that whoever the dove came and remained upon was the savior of the world. That gave John his purpose in his ministry. And then we also see the same purpose, revealing Christ to the world in the ministry of John, the author of the gospel. So it's not just the content of what he's saying, it's the way that it is being said. So this is John himself helping us out. Now, John, the gospel writer, was a very thoughtful man. Um, his gospel is a little bit different from the other three, as you may have noticed. A bit more theological, but more reflective. A um, little bit of a different ordering, because he was trying to make a point. John's gospel was written after the other three, so maybe he had more time for reflection. Um, or maybe he was just that kind of person anyway. Um, we all have different personalities, and his comes through. He's a real thinker, and he's got a real craft in his communication. So John tells a story, and he weaves through it and lessons for us. He puts his interpretation on it, and he enables us to see the point that he's trying to make through the story. John has a focus to his gospel, and it's not as clear in the others. This one is dead clear. He places his focus on the identity and purpose of Jesus. That is John's top priority in writing his gospel. It comes through all his readings. And the rest of the story, it helps us to grow deeper with Jesus, to get to know more of who he is and ground our faith in that truth. In this way, he actually gives us a real good direction in grounding our lives, thinking about our ministries. What is our purpose? What do we hold as the priority in our lives? And I wonder if we think about that very often. In the daily grind, are we often thinking about the greater purpose of our lives? I hope we are. <laughs> but so often we get caught up with stuff. We get distracted, don't we? And we don't focus on that purpose. In the business world, you can take a lesson from this. They're very careful about purpose. They're very careful about their purpose. They have mission statements, vision statements, and every idea that comes through, every action that's done is put through this kind of you know, filter. Does it fit with the vision and mission? If it doesn't, sometimes ruthlessly, they will chuck it out. But they know in the business world that with focus comes success. Um, it was Steve Jobs is quoted as saying, focus and simplicity... Once you get there, you can move mountains. So, and note that religious imagery that he's using there as well. Uh, another famous quote is attributed to George Lucas, George Lucas. Always remember, your focus determines your reality. So what we focus on actually influences how we live and the reality of 
what we think, what we do, what actually happens around us. It's so valued and important, this focus and simplicity in the business world, because as I said before, it actually achieves results. Okay, and so you, you know that that's true, or else they certainly wouldn't be investing so much money into doing it. Now, I remember a time about 15 or 20 years ago, wasn't it, when business speak kind of came into the church and business lessons came in. And I remember there were a bunch of people saying, oh, you can't have that in the church. The church isn't a business. You can't do that. But to separate things out in a world where everything is created by God and for God is a bit of a silly exercise. And as you can see, even Steve Jobs can see a link between the business ideas and religion. I want to argue today that instead of saying, oh, look, here's a lesson from the business world that the church should latch onto that's going to make us amazing, actually what I want to say is here's a lesson from Scripture that the business world has learned that we need to reappropriate for our discipleship to be effective in today's, in today's world. So, here we go. My comparison between John and Steve. Let's start with that famous specific thing that we all know about Steve Jobs. And if you don't know, you might get it if I put up 100 pictures of Steve. He always wore the same black turtleneck shirt. Now, who, who noticed that about him? Who knew that? Okay, yeah. He does wash. When he was questioned about this, he said, his whole ethos around it was that when you wake up in the morning, you are prime for decision making. But as you make several little decisions throughout the day, your decision making gets a bit weaker. So what he wanted to do to keep like right on the ball for work, because as you know, he was incredibly successful, he wanted to eliminate every other, well, as many of the other decisions that he had to so he could focus on his work. So one of those was his wardrobe. I don't know if how long it takes you guys to figure out what to wear in the morning, but even if it was just a tiny decision like that, he wanted to cut it out. So he had his whole wardrobe lined up with these black turtleneck shirts. So that decision cut out of his life. I don't think he had children, I was trying to look, but if you have kids, you know that by the time you get to work, you're like pretty run down and ragged. Um, but, but not Steve, he was focused, all his energy was just gonna go into his work to give it his all. Now, so he has simplicity and focus. And then we look at John the Baptist, okay? So like, they look a little different, right? <laughs> But do you know what? Maybe John was actually more epic, right, than Steve. Similar, but more epic. I mean, look at John. He didn't ever change his clothes, right? Like, camel hair, that sounds difficult to make. I can't imagine he had a whole, like, wardrobe of them lined up, you know, to have each day. I reckon he probably used the same one. And you're in a desert. I don't know how often you'd get to bathe. Maybe he cut that decision out of his day. You know, the guy went and lived in the desert to remove the distractions of everyday life. Like, he wasn't the only one. There are a few people. There are people called the Essenes, or a group of people who they wanted to get away from the world. They wanted to retreat. The Desert Fathers, later on we see these people, the same idea. They want to get out of the everyday kind of values and um, hustle and bustle of the world to focus on God 
to focus on deepening their relationship and to figuring out their purpose and doing what God wants them to do. So in a way, Steve and John, they've got the same mentality, that focus, that simplicity. Um, John just came first and he was better at it. We've got to be proud of our people, right? It may have been kind of a crazy camel-wearing desert dweller, but he really had the right heart, and he was just, well, I don't know, just as effective. He was very effective in his ministry, and Steve Jobs was very effective in his, albeit one had eternal significance and the other doesn't. So now we've established the John the Baptist is like the more kind of epic Steve Jobs. We want to continue to look through the scriptures and see how this plays out in the remaining, remaining verses. So in verse 30, John says, the one who comes after me surpasses me because he came before me. So that's a bit of a, bit of a riddle put in there, but it's designed to make you think, doesn't it? It makes you stop and go, oh, that's, that's okay, right. He came first before. So what it's doing is making you dwell on the eternal nature of Jesus being. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So it's that same, it's echoing that same idea that John had in the opening lines of this gospel. What it also does is it puts the focus back onto his purpose, doesn't it? To reveal Christ to the world. So it's saying, there's one who's coming who is greater than me, and it's this guy right here. Uh, he's taking the focus off himself. He had a whole bunch of followers. He was very successful. Um, we're told by a historian that he was a major religious figure of the time, and so what he needed to do was take the focus off him and put it onto Jesus. Always the same purpose to make Christ known. And it's not just a one-off line, you know. This was his whole ethos. So we see before that, he'd said the day before, in verse 27, he wasn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He's constantly taking the focus off himself and putting it on to Jesus. In verse 33, we see again that Jesus is the one who will bring a greater baptism, not one with just water, but with the Holy Spirit. So this man, the one who John points out, will bring God's spirit into the lives of all people. Now, he often in the Old Testament, you see the spirit descends upon certain leaders for a certain time, um, often around the great events. But here we see in this retelling that the spirit descended and remained on Jesus, pointing out that he is different. He is the special one sent from God, the Messiah. And in almost every line that John speaks, his purpose is in focus. So if you read through what John the Baptist says, it's so succinct, it's so to the point, and it's so glorifying of Jesus. It's so revelatory of who he is. He did an excellent job of his ministry, and I hope he's an inspiration for each one of us, that simplicity and that focus. So today we've had a look at the scripture. We've had a look at what it teaches us. And what I want it to do, what I want you to go away with today is thinking Jesus gave us the Great Commission. He said, get out there and make disciples of all nations. And the first part of discipleship is understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for each one of us. That is our purpose, to reveal that to others and help to teach that 
to them so that it may in turn transform their lives to be one that they come and acknowledge Jesus as their saviour and continue the story again in their lives to the next person to disciple. So what I want us to do is embody that, that purpose, that vision in everything we say and do. And you might not be moved to go and, you know, ditch your clothes, go out into the Waitakere Ranges and do whatever it is that you want to do out there. Um, but what it hopefully will do is, at the start of this year, set your focus again for this coming year, that we can run everything through that focus, that we can think about what we spend most time on, how we spend our money, what we prioritise, what we value, what we say to our kids as we bring them up, how we treat our friends, how we treat strangers. I hope that everything that we do, every conversation we have, we can start to run it through that focus so that we can get across and live effectively for our purpose, to make Christ known to the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you for his ministry and that through his ministry we have come to know who Jesus is, that we have come to worship Jesus as our saviour, as God, as the one who is our friend, our redeemer. Lord, we pray as we move into communion today that we can keep your identity, your plans, your beautiful love story as the primary thing in our lives, the thing we prioritise, the thing that we constantly seek to attain, to glorify you, Lord, to make you known. And Father, as we take this communion to refocus on you, we pray that you will move each of us, that your spirit will minister to us, and that we will be open to you afresh again this morning. Amen.